We are Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. This is, of course, a very special edition because we have a kind of a new co-host alongside. Her name is Alyssa Merrill. She's the CEO and founder of Flower and Tonic. And anytime I have any questions about CBD, one of those magic cannabinoids in the cannabis sativa plant, I always ask Alyssa. So given the fact that the gentleman that's joining us, his name is Dean Harris, he's with Tab Brands, we've brought Alyssa alongside to kind of help me out and make me feel like I actually know what I'm talking about when it comes to cannabinoids. At least I know how to pronounce the word. And that's pretty much where my knowledge will end. So uh, first of all, Alyssa, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to kind of uh, prop me up, if you will. Oh, thrilled to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited about some of the products we're going to talk about. This is kind of where I want the industry, you know, the attention I want the industry to get. So I'm excited. Good. And joining us is Dean Harris. He's with Tab Brands. And I got to tell you about this guy. Uh, he's been the chief marketing officer for some of the biggest brands that most a lot of people have actually heard of. Things like Vonage, Kayak.com, just to name a few. And now he's involved with Tab Brands. Dean, tell us a little bit about Tab Brands. Tab Brands is a health and wellness company uh, that's operating both in the medical cannabis space and the CBD space. Um, and we're, we're designed to provide health and wellness products that can do great good all over the world. Um, our notion is that, that uh, CBD and cannabis can be used as an alternative to prescribed pharmaceuticals. Uh, many people get great benefit from them, um, and we want to produce the highest quality products with the most amount of efficacy possible. Okay, before Alyssa takes over, I'm gonna ask you one question. You have such a deep resume. You've had experience across the board in advertising and in marketing. Why in the world did you get involved with cannabis at this stage in your life? It's a great question. I, don't think I, I told you the, the answer to this, but um, so after years of physical inactivity, um, I started working out with a trainer and my trainers said to me, hey, I just invented this great product that's going to revolutionize the personal training industry because it's going to be a way of delivering protein supplements more efficiently. Will you help me write my patent? So, okay, great. So I helped him write his patent. And what he had discovered was a, um, a delivery system, an effervescent delivery system using protein in a tablet form. So we actually got the provisional patent. And then we looked for applications of this patent. And frankly, the, the cannabis industry just jumped off the page. It was much more interested in than, than protein and protein supplements. So I saw this as a gigantic opportunity. Um, started investigating the cannabis industry. We actually started in cannabis with a product that uses an active ingredient called THCA, which is non-psychotropic. Um, and we then, worked on building a team, formulators, a supply chain. And then at the end of 2018, the, um, the new farm bill passed, which opened up a huge amount of opportunity. And we then we were able to apply our technology to the CBD space, which is vibrant, interesting, and far less regulated, making it um, a place where, where we think we can produce more interesting products more profitably and reach a wider, wider uh, audience. Go ahead, Alyssa. Well, first of all, grateful to have your skills in this industry because I think if there's any message I've been trying to get out, it's that the wrong we're listening to the wrong people. You know, the, unfortunately, a lot of the marketing efforts have worked, and I feel like people are having a hard time finding the products that are actually going to work. Um, and uh, just from like a minute of looking at your website and your profile, I knew that you guys were in that next generation of, of products, which I'm excited about. So um, thank you. Well, I mean, everything we're doing is is science informed. I mean, we've had a team of four PhDs and an MD PhD working on the formulation. Uh, and that was easier said than done. Um, and then, of course, just because something works in the lab doesn't necessarily work, mean it works at scale at the point of production. So everything that we've done um, certainly works in the lab, but also works 
uh, once we get to the, the the point of producing product. So we're we're thrilled that we actually have products that that perform that work. They're tested throughout the the course of, of manufacture, um, and actually we're getting ready to launch a direct consumer brand in in a month or so. Yeah, tell us about that. I'm excited. Yeah, um, m- most of our, most of our, our efforts initially were in uh, were in B2B producing our product either as an ingredient or as white label, and it became increasingly frustrating because um, the the time frame was just was just taking too long. So, I mean, I have had some experience in marketing direct to consumer. So we hired a New York branding agency. Um, and in about a month or so, we're going to relaunch um, under our, our own new brand name. Uh, the first two products that we're going to, um, we're going to provide are a CBD protein product and a CBD pet sprinkle product. Um, and then after that, we'll have a CBD mix-in product and CBD tea. Um, all of them use incredibly high quality ingredients. We're using broad spectrum, which means no THC, um, hemp derived CBD powder, uh, and all natural food grade ingredients. Um, so we're, we're actually really, really thrilled. Uh, we're starting off with relatively small batches, um, but once, once they sell, we'll be able to go back into production and produce much, much greater quantities. Um, you mentioned the pet product. I'm going to start there, okay? Because while most people uh, hear of CBD uh, in the consumer space that includes, you know, your topicals and what have you, uh, maybe some infused uh, items as well, but um, the, the world of pets is a huge, huge market. And originally, when I started in this space about two years ago, there was dangers about letting your pets near any of the cannabis products that you might have brought home from a medical dispensary or an adult use dispensary. Now, because there are, they've extracted that CBD chemical, how, how are you going to explain it to pet owners that this stuff is actually good for your pet? psychoactive. Um, in other words, the one, a pet or a person is not going to get high from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not intoxicating. Mm-hmm. Um, and the health and wellness benefits of cannabis, uh, cannabis and CBD, but let's talk about CBD now, have been studied extensively. So even though the, the pets are not going to be able to, to talk about it or comment on it, their, their behavior does get affected. And CBD is certainly known to provide benefits for things like pain, inflammation, anxiety, things that pets have just like people have. So um, our product, just, just to clarify, our products are, are, uh, are consumable. Ours is an effervescent delivery system. You can mix it in any hot or cold liquid. Uh, and in the case of pets, it's a, it's a pet sprinkle product where you sprinkle the, the ingredient on the top of the pet's wet or dry food um, based on the pet's weight and the pet eats it and, and gets great benefit. And again, um, I only have anecdotal evidence, but if my uh, son and daughter-in-law's rescue pit bull is, is a decent example, this stuff really works. I have a if it works in a hyperactive pit bull from Brooklyn, it, it should work in pretty much any, any pet. I'm taking it from my, I didn't know dogs teeth until I got my coronavirus puppy and it's teething like a, a child. It's horrible. So I'm, but it's so innovative. I love, there's a need for the products. There are so many products in the market right now, but like the delivery system, um, again, something I've been focusing on. I just, I love the innovation in your products too. Yeah, I think part of part of the, the value of the delivery system is you want to make it easy for people or pets to consume. Yeah. You don't want the the negatives of, of CBD or cannabis to, to overwhelm the benefits. The negatives can include things like a bad taste, a bad odor, a, a difficult way of taking it. So everything that we're doing, we'd like to incorporate into a, a pet or a person's daily life. So the, the, the delivery system we have in, uh, encourages the, the ingredient to be mixed in, in the food or beverage that the, the consumer, pet consumer or people consumer are using. And it makes it a, it makes it a much, much easier and faster and, and, and more efficacious way to, to use the product. Uh, I mean, if you look at some alternatives like smoking or vaping, your pet's not going to smoke or vape, but, but people do. Um, 
to me, that's, that's not a delivery system that's going to be on, on the increase. And actually, even if you look at something like tinctures, um, there are problems with them in that they, they don't necessarily taste good. The delivery system is such that you have to put it under your tongue um, and keep it there for a long time, which is not convenient. And then beyond that, the dosage is, is questionable. Even though you're taking a drop, a drop is not really a precise dosing measurement system. So one of the things that, we, we, that we're doing with all of our products is we're, we're trying to make certain that the dose that we promise is a dose we're delivering. Uh, and the way we do that actually is we, we use an independent lab to test the, the dosage after um, the product is administered just to make sure that what we're promising is what the what the uh, the user is getting. Huh. Well, I, you know, I, I've been a user of CBD thanks to my pal Alyssa over here um, recommending a few of the products on her site, Flower and Tonic. I take them every day. Yes, they're in a dropper. And I've always wondered, you know, is this half a dropper the same as the yesterday's half dropper? So what you're saying is because it's in a powder form, you really can control the intake into yeah, the deliverable. We, yes, we, we've been able to mix it and blend it in, in quantity so that the dosage is assured. And then just to make sure that that's true, we do, we do testing afterwards to make certain that, that what we're promising is what you get. So for example, I alluded to the fact that we've got a tea product coming out. The notion of getting uh, CBD from a tea bag into the cup of tea sounds easy, but it's actually not. But many CBD tea products never measure what the dosage is that's in the brewed cup of tea, and we do. So um, we we claim that there's 10 milligrams of CBD in the tea bag, and then we we take the brewed cup of tea and we have it measured by an independent lab and. There are 10 milligrams of CBD in the, in the brewed cup. That's the way it should be. Unfortunately, that's not the way it always is in, in this industry. Not even close. Yeah, the number one company that has a, a drink, a beverage, uh, I asked to test their product and they knew that it's sticking to the side. And then who's to even know once it's sticking to the side? I love what you're doing. Um, basically, can I just ask, go back to, is it almost like an Alka-Seltzer? Well, I mean, the. That's a, it's a good question. So it is an effervescent delivery system, and some of the same ingredients that are in Alka-Seltzer are in our proprietary formula. So I mean, I guess we could actually say that it settles your stomach, but we're not, you know, we're not focusing on that benefit. The the effervescent um, delivery system is there to make certain that the CBD disperses properly, not to make sure that the food or beverage becomes fizzy. So if you were to put it in a cup of coffee, for example you wouldn't have carbonated coffee. You'd have coffee that has the correct dose of CBD. And the way it works is we take a CBD in powdered form, we combine it with our proprietary powder ingredient, and it disperses the CBD actively in, in a hot liquid or cold liquid. In hot liquid, it actually takes about eight seconds. In cold liquid, it takes about 15 seconds. But there's no, there are no residual particles. There's nothing on the side. You don't see stuff floating on the top or the bottom. This, it's, this it's, is like, Yeah, I mean, it works. I, I think I sent both of you guys a video of how of of our our demonstration, and I mean, it it works. Now, what's also interesting about this is, I mean, there is science behind this. Um, there's a a study that just came out in March, an NIH study um, among humans that studied water-soluble CBD, which is what we're doing, versus lipid-soluble CBD, which is what other people are doing, many other people are doing. And the study found that um, water-soluble CBD was 4.5 times more bioavailable. So that is a, that's a huge benefit. And um, we were always wondering anecdotally why people seem to respond so well to our product. I think part of it is we're actually delivering the dose that we claim but part of it is it's got a bio bioavailability advantage. And I liked that you weren't that the nanotech. I was never. I never jumped on board with the excitement behind some of the nanotechnology. And I and you explained really well. You you were very well informed. Yeah, um, we're we're a we are definitely non nano. And just for the audience that doesn't know what that is, if, yeah, if do you mind if I riff on I that? Love, I'd love for okay. you. Okay. <laughs> so so nanotechnology takes the CBD and it it 
grinds it down to a very, very small particle size between one and 100 nanometers. So when you place it in a, in a liquid, it looks like it's dissolving, but it's actually not. It's, it's, it's just emulsifying in the, in the liquid. But the particle size is too small to be seen by the naked eye, so it looks like it's dissolving. Unfortunately, there are some potential hazards to, to nano, and um, there's, there's a lot of science that, that supports that. Now, nano is also used for, for good. Targeted cancer therapy, for example, uses nano as a delivery system. But if you've got cancer, or a loved one has cancer, you want to make sure that, that, that the targeted therapy gets to the target, and you're not quite as concerned about the issues of, of the CBD and, and the blood-brain barrier. You, you just you want to stay well or alive as long as possible. But we have an alternative to nano, which is, which is this um, effervescent delivery system. So why risk the hazards of nano? And interestingly, um, in Europe, that, that tends to be somewhat ahead of us with respect to uh, food safety, yeah. um, to, to be, you know, to put it mildly, um, you can't sell nano in Europe. They, they won't accept it. So in the United States, we have all sorts of debates about the, the, you know, the pros and cons of nano. In Europe, it's like, well, of course, we don't want nano. So I see that as a positive. You know, uh, recently, um, there was an article talking about the consumer action groups now urging the FDA to slow down on their reports on CBD. Uh, for, how do you interpret that as a, as a bad thing or a good thing? Uh, because for the most part, most people feel like the consumer reports groups and those lobbyists uh, do have the public's best interest in mind. But it seems to me that if we're, we're talking about a product that is non-intoxicating and has benefits, why wouldn't the FDA want to put it into food items? I see the, the report that you just noted as, as a bad thing. Um, yeah. The lack of clarity uh, from the FDA is actually one of the big problems in the industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, we always hear that this industry is the Wild West. It really is the Wild West. I mean, there are essentially no standards. Um, we're imposing standards that we think are, are, um, are appropriate. Ultimately, we, we're, we're probably setting standards. We may be setting standards that the FDA will, will ultimately uh, put into place. But um, I think the notion of the FDA ducking an industry that, that is now multi-billion dollars in the United States um, is, is not appropriate. I mean, they should be trying to protect human health and safety and, and consumption. And they, uh, in my view, they have to step up to the plate. Now, I mean, the, 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 the interesting part of that is it's, it's really kept a lot of capital out of the industry. It's kept a lot of serious players out of the industry because of this regulatory uncertainty. But um, we're we're trying to regulate ourselves like like we were a, a food product or a or a nutraceutical product. Um, actually, more than that, and ultimately, we think the standards will probably be something like that. So that's a long answer to your question, Jimmy. But uh, I think the consumer groups are not doing consumers a service in this case. And I, I have a short answer, and I call it soccer mom standards. I think that I've been scared. I've been scared by soccer moms, and that's what led me to testing and learning all these things because I, those were some high uh, high expectations to meet, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, and another standard is: would you would you use it yourself or give it to a loved one? Right. Yeah. And um, and I think one of the one of the big issues in the whole CBD space is there's such uncertainty as to what people are actually getting. Yeah. That, um, that that sort of trust and, and, and ultimately the transparency behind great products is, is I think, what will separate brands, brands that succeed versus brands that don't succeed. And I mean, to have a doctor, I mean, I can't tell you, like, doc, and I, my, I've told, you know, had this conversation with Jimmy, my perspective is switched. I almost now think doctors would be negligent to say, sure, go grab some CBD because it's just, you know, how unregulated it is. Um, I think it's just, we have to start the conversation with clinicians. I just, I still like to have my doctor's approval, especially, um, 
I'm not in a position where I'm, I'm looking at it for children, but I think for people who are looking at CBD as an option for children, um, I'm working like, for example, with the New England School for Autism. Mm -hmm. And these are, there are patient advocacy routes where a doctor can't, they just can't responsibly recommend these products, but there is opportunity through some of these patient advocacy departments and, you know, finding brands and products that, you know, such as yours, it's been hard. But. And, and, and CBD products, as you know, are not covered by, by insurance. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that's another issue. It's, it's out of pocket for many consumers. Um, but, but as you know, um, many consumers are choosing uh, CBD as an alternative to prescribed medication because for one reason or another, the prescribed medication doesn't work or, or causes unwanted side effects. So, I mean, let's just take an, you know, perhaps the most extreme example of CBD versus prescribed opioids. Mm -hmm. I mean, prescribed opioids work to, to mitigate acute pain in the first couple days. But I mean, do you, do you really want to be taking it for an extended period of time? Um, because frankly, I mean, it, it can be addictive and there are many side effects. And it, let, let's say we all had a, let's say we had a parent that was living in an assisted living facility. Although I, nobody wants to live in an assisted living facility now, but uh, assuming we had a parent that was suffering from pain and inflammation and, and perhaps loss of appetite or anxiety or insomnia, I mean, would you want to give your parent um, or have your parent prescribe prescribed opioids? No. I mean, I sure wouldn't. And, and this represents a fantastic alternative. So one of the doctors I met, uh, gosh, last September, he was the, the guy who created methadone, Dr. Mm -hmm. Golden, and he has a CBD product. And we were joking because I used to sell Ritalin and, you know, and I, and I was doing a good thing. Like, and I still think there were a lot of people who were helped by that, but I just saw the struggle that there were just not alternatives. So I think, you know what, I think that that message doctors can resonate with, that we're not trying to play doctor, but maybe just offer an alternative that we think is safe as it can Yeah, and, and I mean, frankly, these plant-based medicines have existed in cultures all over the world for, for tens of thousands of years. So I, I think that that, that suggests that, that this plant has some validity. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way I look at it. I mean, I, I, it, and for what it's worth, our products seem to, to work well with people. Um, we get, although ironically, and we're not allowed to promote any testimonials, we can't say any of that stuff, but, but anecdotally people love our products and, um, and if they didn't, they tell us and, and they do tell us. You mentioned, you mentioned anecdotal evidence, okay? And certainly science and research um, has advanced the uh, lobbying efforts in Washington, D.C., around the world. We've moved towards more legalization. Here in Massachusetts, of course, we've had adult use now for just over two years. But the anecdotal stories are so powerful. The, the people who tell me, cannabis saved my life, cannabis changed my life. Um, and, I, and I put cannabis as the umbrella because it's the same plant. It's that your product comes from the hemp version, the full spectrum hemp version of the plant, right? Or the cousin, okay? Make it a cousin. We have, we have a lot of cousins. Point being, how frustrating is it as a marketer that you can't tell those anecdotal stories about your product? I can't, I can't make any health wellness claims. Um, I've just been going through this process of, of trying to get our brochures and, and labels in shape with our lawyers. And it's been far more of a struggle than I've ever had to go through. And I mean, I'm being, I, I want to be absolutely compliant, but um, it's remarkable what you can't say. Uh, and now, of course, we're, you know, we're, we're being, we're being very strict about this. Um, other people, there are many other people in the industry that aren't, but, um, but just the, the what we have to do to to promote our product without telling the health and wellness stories that that we can tell without providing the health and wellness benefits without suggesting the the health conditions that that this will will aid um, is is pretty interesting and I mean I'm used to to much more formal marketing where you know you come up with a couple of key benefits and you just say them and of course they have to be true but it's not like I'm, I mean, I'm not telling any falsehoods in, in, 
in, in, my, in my story. I will say though, if I was to compare, it's just coming from the world of pharmaceuticals. I sold, um, you know, a drug, you know, this Ritalin LA, an extended version. And this, to get the approval, like the amount of time, clinical study and just marketing and, and the business behind launching a different delivery system was mm-hmm. million, it was a $10 million. Yeah. Well, you know, but, but frankly, I would, love to be able to have my um my products tested clinically yeah. uh, but but in as you know in many cases um the major research unit uh institutions won't touch it because they believe it would it would violate or or harm many of the other federal grants that they're getting so i mean we we've gone to just incredible extremes to try to get our products tested we we've, we've talked about testing outside of the country we've talked about testing um on Native American lands because they're sovereign, uh, we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to go to these extremes to try to get these these products tested. And we we do have. I mean, our our chief scientist, um, chief science uh, officer, is a. I mean, he's basically a medical researcher. He's got a an MD PhD. He's the head of a department at a major medical school in the Midwest. He's published 170. Um, academic papers. He's like the world's lead, one of the world's leading experts on stress. I mean, this guy knows how to write a study, but um, to actually get a study is, has been far harder than it should be. Everything in this industry is far harder than it should be, Dean. <laughs> I don't care if you're selling CBD or you're selling pre-rolls. It, it, it is the biggest challenge. I'm guessing the people that are owning dispensaries or having ancillary products involved with the cannabis industry get so frustrated with the regulations. And also, oh, you have to battle that stigma too. People still are afraid of, oh my God, if I rub this on my hand, I might get high. You know, I mean, at at some point, people are going to realize that this is a helpful product, not a hurtful product. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's what, I think that probably what drives a lot of folks in the industry. I mean, there is enthusiasm for these products because they do good. And um, that's why I'm doing it. I mean, I marketed tons of products throughout the years and, and I've, I, I haven't ever marketed anything I don't believe in, but um, I, I truly believe in this, but, it, but it's a very different, it's very different. Uh, on the other hand, there's, there's sort of no leading CBD brands and there's nobody that owns the CBD narrative. So the opportunity to do both of those things, I think, is great. And even a, a relatively small company like ours can punch way above our weight with respect to um, how we how we can promote ourselves um, in social media, in, in earned media, et cetera. Jimmy was at a large retailer yesterday and sent me, uh, you know, the video of the products on the shelf. And they're not the ones I would have recommended to my family and friends. Like, they're not the ones that, in my opinion, work. For the same money, I, I typically would, you know, I think maybe a couple of the products on there I, I thought were good, but for the most part, I'm like, do you, as a marketer, do you have concerns that the, I mean, I just, I see the bigger companies with the lesser products growing and it makes me nervous. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how do you do it, how you want to do it. I mean, big doesn't necessarily mean better or more profitable. Um, and and I, I see many publicly held cannabis companies struggling both with sales and, and market capitalization. So we haven't taken the let's go out and raise a hundred million dollar route and um, and become really big fast. We've we've taken the route of let's produce some really great products, let's make sure they work, let's let's test them, let's develop a really robust su- supply chain. And now what's going to be, I think, a really exciting brand. And that's the way we're gonna work into it. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's, let's put it this way. So I, I've done it the other way. I mean, when I was the chief marketing officer at Vonage, we raised $682 million before the IPO. I was spending, I was spending $250 million a year in advertising. I'd go to these conferences. We were the largest online advertiser in the country. So I'd go to these, these conferences and people would come up to me and say, thanks for your business. Thanks for your business. Thanks for your business. I didn't know who they were, but we were just, we were buying everything. And um, this is just the polar extreme of that. Yeah. Uh, but I, but it's, you know, it's equally challenging and, it, and it's been fun. 
so far. Are you? Let me ask a little bit, if you mind. Uh, how is your company structured? Um, is it all privately funded? Did you have any private equity money? Uh, how did you get this? Thing? We're privately funded. We've taken very, very little in terms of capital. We're 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 financing ourselves through through revenue, sort of bootstrapping. Um, so we've given up. The, the two the two co-founders own um, the vast majority of the company. We've given up very little, um, and so there's no private equity behind no private equity behind it. No no big private investors, um, which is you know not the not necessarily the model for fast growth, but it's sort of something I feel comfortable with because I really don't owe anything to anybody at this point other than the consumer. Yeah. And, and you, 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 everything you've given me so far has is, is been like, we want to do right by doing good. We, we have the consumer's best interest in mind. That's kind of your focus. Do. And ultimately, I think that's what's going to work in this. I think that's actually what's going to work in every category. I mean, consumers pick products because they work for them. I mean, both physically and psychologically. Um, but I mean, you know, my, my initial training was on very, very, very formal packaged goods. And um, I'd, I'd love to build the, that kind of efficacy of brand. I guess the one difference here is that, that we hope that ultimately we're going to have a direct-to-consumer model um, so that we can control the narrative and we don't have to, um, we don't have to you know, in effect, share a lot of the margins with, with uh, retailers in, in the middle of the, of the chain. Alyssa? Um. I guess in terms of like, I was naive to um, how marketing works, you know, and, and again, I, I was kind of like, why are these better brands winning? And do you think like, I could certainly share with you some horror stories about one of the most popular gummies on the market. And I mean, I'm trying to take the high road in terms of promoting products such as yours. Um, Cause I, I kind of trying to remain in that value, you know, the middle spot where I can evaluate. Do you think we have to identify some of these bad players and call out the people or is that just bad business moving ahead in terms of like, I mean, I think ultimately the FDA will once they, they get their act together. But, but I think that the, the value of, of most consumer products is that they represent repeat purchase. So what that means is you can get somebody to try it once or maybe twice, but if it doesn't perform, people just won't buy it again. And we just want to make sure that, that our products have consistent quality and perform so that people will, will buy them over and over again. And what that means is if I just, well, if we decide that we're going to have a subscription model, for example, which is something we'd like to do, what that means is we acquire the customer once and then they, we just keep sending it to them every month or every three months, depending on, on what they'd like. And that's a, that's a much more efficient, much more profitable model. Uh, and then of course, as the product becomes interesting and profitable, um, consumers will tell others that, that you know, have like interests and like needs, um, which is I think a decent idea here because as you know, um, we're, we're, we in the cannabis and CBD industry are very constrained as to, as to what kind of paid media we can use. Yes. So, so having consumers say nice things about us recommend us to their their you know their friends and relatives and peers is good um i mean again going back to vonage i mean when i was at vonage we had something called a refer a friend program which meant that if you like vonage you could refer a friend and when the the friend took the service they got a free month of service and you got a free month of service and at, and at one point that represented roughly eight percent of all of our acquisitions and that which is pretty significant um, at the at the absolutely lowest cost of acquisition. Now you do need a little bit of scale to do that, but um, we have people that are very enthusiastic about our product, and we think that 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 having those referrals in this in this segment is probably a decent idea. Leads me right up to my next question. There's a lot of former professional athletes that are getting involved in the CBD space. Um, I think you know, in fact, you could probably teach a class on using the athlete as a spokesperson uh, for a product. Is that in your plans at all, or are you sticking with simple reward programs, kind of what you were talking about earlier? I mean, we are, 
we we are talking to a um, a sports league about being their official CBD product. That that so we're not targeting individual athletes, but we are targeting um, a league. Do I get to play? Do I get to play journalist and ask? Well, I'll tell, I'll, yeah, I, I can't tell you, but um, but <laughs> it's multiple choice, Dean. It's multiple choice. I could probably take a, a wild guess. I'll I'll tell you offline. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to screw up the deal before it happens or or doesn't happen. Um, but I, I think you'll find it amusing. Uh, so I th now that's a hint, Dean. Okay, I just want to say that's a bit of a hint. Amusing. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, so I, I think that um, aligning with with a league is probably more um, is a better idea than aligning with an individual athlete. And in many cases, aligning with the league doesn't necessarily mean the league. It could be the Players Association, right. um, which I think is probably a better place to go. Because, I mean, truthfully, many, many, many professional athletes and non-professional athletes use cannabis and CBD as a way of, of relieving pain. I mean, again, if you, if, if you were injured in sports or, you know, injury is, and is, is part of the, the daily life of sports, Again, would you rather relieve your pain and inflammation with CBD? Or would you rather take prescribed opioids? I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. Right. It's a no-brainer for a lot of people now, too. Now, um, interestingly, we are, we are, um, we've created a CBD protein product, which is interesting because that offers a dual benefits to athletes because it, it provides the protein that people use for muscle repair but it also provides the CBD that's used for, for pain and inflammation and relaxation. And if I could just go into something else that, that we're doing, um, we've, we've also created a, a, a water-soluble terpenes product. So terp but this has application for athletes as well. So terpenes are the, the smell and taste of, of fruits and, and vegetables and plants. Um, and we have just created a, a, a CBD, excuse me, a, a terpenes protein product that is targeted to athletes. The, the type of protein we, terpenes we're using in this actually is, um, is a calming protein. So it's, it's sort of designed for post-workout. And um, I think it's, it's actually very exciting. What's, what's kind of cool about terpenes is that they've been consumed by people for hundreds of years. Uh, so subsequently, they're not going to be subject to the same regulations that cannabis and CBD are. I mean, it, it's hard to argue that people haven't been eating grapes or orange peel or because they have. So um, subsequently, the, the governing bodies, the FDA in, um, in Europe, it's called Novel Foods. There, there, will be, there will be no restrictions on this. And it's a way of offering health and wellness benefits without being hung up through the, you know, the legislative challenges of, of CBD and, and cannabis. And interesting, interestingly, terpenes provide many of the same health and wellness benefits of cannabis and, and CBD. And when they are used with cannabis and CBD, they increase the entourage effect of the cannabinoids dramatically. Alyssa can tell you what the entourage effects oh, are. I, I love talking terpenes. So my first time I learned terpenes, the the Meyer soap. I was addicted, you know? Like Yeah, I, I use that. Yeah. But I was like legitimately addicted. I'm like, I mean, I couldn't use anything else. That is actually plant-based terp. Like it's it's made. Oh, I think I have it right here. You have it. Okay. Wow. That's impressive. You've got Meyer soap terpenes. Of course it is. And by the way, THC and CBD together is the entourage effect. I understand it too. Okay. Just for the record. But I, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to put you down. That, that's okay. It's fine. You can, Dean. <laughs> I, I, I would never do that. The best way it was described to me was that, and this was through Dr. Husso's study, was that if you have a one-to-one, -one, if you have a CBD, THC, and a one-to-one, -one, and you add the same terpene to each of those products, it's the effect of the terpene that directs your experience. So the terpene is going to predict how you feel tired. You know, that's where the indica sativa really doesn't mean anything. The terpene is going to predict. Yeah, and, and, and interestingly, so, so terpenes as a, as a market are, are sort of aligned to, to both cannabis and CBD. Yeah. And again, terpenes are oil-based. So the fact that we've been able to make terpenes water-soluble is pretty significant 
because again, it can be placed in any, any drink, any food, any, any product without the same regulatory constraints and, and different terpenes seem to affect the body differently. Um, so the fact that we can get them powderized and, and, and add them to our proprietary formula, I think is interesting. So we only did this about five weeks ago and we've already had interest in doing a CBD terpenes product, a, C, a terpenes protein product, a tea product, a terpenes lavender product. Um, it's interesting. It, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, it, it's almost like the notion of aromatherapy um, because that's, you know, aromatherapy in effect is, is some of the, the smell benefits of terpenes. Then, okay, I'm sorry, Jimmy, I had to cut you off for a second because this was a fascinating thing that I feel like everyone should know. I had no idea. So I am 46, 45, something around there. And my house is a mess, but it always smells good. I got a compliment once that it smelled like gummy bears from my daughter's friend, melted gummy bears, which is like huge compliment to me. And it, I always had played plugins and I was told by a, you know, some data, genetic data I had done, mm -hmm. stay away from uh, fragrances. And I unplugged all my Glade plugins and went from having headaches like almost every day to the headaches were gone. And it, and it, I guess that's a fact. Like I, I really thought that that was kind of hocus pocus, the whole like fragrance thing, but that is a chemical terpene, I guess. So it's, it's kind of the same area, you know, when we talk synthetic cannabinoids versus, you know, the natural plant-based, I guess in the terpene world, it gets fascinating and complex, but some of the terpenes can actually cause harm um, when they're in that chemical. Sure. Well, our, our terpenes, as you would guess, are, are all natural. They're plant-derived. Yes. The one that we're using most is, is orange peel extract, yes. which, which smells and tastes good, but it also, and it does have a, it, it has a sort of a citrusy flavor. So um, if you add this to, to, a, to a beverage, it's going to taste a little bit citrusy. Um, but it's that to me, it's been fascinating and it seems like it's a great adjunct to the, the CBD and the cannabis space. It's, it's amazing. And it, but again, it's, it's, it's what you've done is kind of found, I do think a lot of people have been using food-based terpenes and just kind of the non-quality terpenes and to have, you know, quality products like, you know, what we'll be seeing with yours is exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think what's going to happen, um, is that folks are going to be adding, our product, our water-soluble terpenes to, to existing products uh, to, to, in effect, create a new product with health and wellness benefits, but also a, a premium product. Um, because the, the, the cost of adding the, the water-soluble terpenes will be lower than, than whatever the premium price will be. So just this, this is actually pretty interesting. So I had a conversation on, uh, I guess it was as far back as yesterday, with a guy from Italy that was interested in, in putting our water-soluble terpenes in Prosecco. I love that. Mm. Now, he's also interested in putting our CBD in pasta. So, I mean, you know, it was like, what a great conversation. And I love it. The guy is located in, in, in Sardinia. Yeah. Is Italy open yet? <laughs> yeah. According to him, Sardinia is open. Okay, good. Yeah, you mentioned pricing. Uh, if it's a consumer product, uh, when I go and I go into a CBD store or, or something like that, and I come out of there with a little, um, let's say a 270 milligram uh, oil-based dropper, all right, and it costs me $85, and it's a 30-day supply. Can you give us an idea of what the yeah, price is? Yeah, so I mean, our, I think ours actually will be less. Um, our are serving, it depends on what it is, but it's gonna turn out to be $2.50, $3 a serving. A serving is gonna equal 10 milligrams of CBD. It depends. I mean, part of it is what else is in it. Yep. So for example, in the, you know, in the um, protein product, we're using incredibly high quality plant-based protein, which is not inexpensive. Um, in the pet product, uh, the ingredients are a little more simple, so it's it's less expensive. Um, so I, I think that that even though we are selling what we perceive to be we more than perceive what what is a premium product, um, I think the price will be affordable. And also, if we sell direct to consumer, which we are planning to do, um, then again, our margins are are ours rather than sharing it with 
the the full supply chain distributors you know retailers uh dispensaries etc um one of the reasons folks i think are having such a hard time in the in the cannabis space other than the you know the different laws in different states is that that state law mandates that you have to split up the the supply chain in in a way so that it's really tough for manufacturers to to make a fair profit that's not the case in cbd where it's possible to produce in one central place and then ship all over the country and all over the world so you can get economies of scale hard much harder to get economies of scale in cannabis um, a question about dosing, and, and Alyssa, you might be the one actually I need to ask about this too, because we've talked to a lot of doctors. Uh, some doctors say you need a thousand milligrams to have a, a good dose of CBD to have any effect on you. You're talking about a product that's 10 milligrams, and I see plenty of other ones out there that are 500 milligrams. And I, how do, how, because every human's different, every endocannabinoid system, how do you know how much you need to take? Would you like me to do this or Alyssa, whatever, whatever you want. I'd like both of you to talk about it, but uh, sure. um, I mean, we, we think, we think uh, CBD dosing should, should start small and then work up if necessary. And it's true that everybody tends to react differently to, to the product. Um, again, anecdotally, people seem to do well on our product at lower doses. Um, but that doesn't mean that's going to be true for everybody. 10 milligrams is kind of a reasonable adult dose from, from what we gather. And that's, that's where we're starting. Now, interestingly, um, we have a, a product that, that we're going to launch in a little while that's called a mix-in product. And what that is, is our powder and effervescent uh, formula in a sachet. And it, it's a, the sachet is, is pharmaceutical grade. It keeps out the moisture so the, the product doesn't effervesce before it's time. But what's interesting about that is you can you could actually almost look at it as as like a package of sugar. You know, when you go into when you go into the um, the coffee shop, you put in one package or two package, depending on how sweet you like it. Again, this will give consumers the option of, in effect, self dosing, and that's true for our our pet product as well. Our pet product is based on on the weight of the the you know the animal, but. Um, we have a little scoop and you can sprinkle it on the top of your, your pet. And for smaller pets, we recommend one scoop and for, for larger pets, two scoops. But again, it depends. I mean, it really depends on how your pet does. And, and you, through this, through, this, through this process, can control how much you're giving the pet. Um, anyway, but, but, so the answer to your question is we think 10 milligrams is a reasonable adult dose. What, what do you think, Alyssa? Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. Um, I guess lately I've been saying more micro dosing almost during the day and then maybe more at night for sleep so that, you know, people are always wondering, can I take the same product for sleep that I take for daytime pain or anxiety? So sure, that seems to be like a guideline. But again, I think it can vary product to product. Because and I think it would vary from ours too, because I mean, the, we were talking before about the notion of bioavailability. I mean, that talks about getting into your, your body, but it also suggests how long it stays in your body. Yeah. And um, I, I suspect our products are going to react differently than, than others. Um, and so far, we've, we've found that, that um, the effects are, are very fast and they tend to last for a pretty long time. I got, I got one more question for you, Dean, and it has to do with the name Tab Brands. Now, you and I are both old enough to remember the soft drink called Tab. I do, Coca-Cola. And do you know what Tab stands for, Jimmy? What the acronym Tab stands for? No, but, you know, I remember Tab Ramos. Because it, it, it stands for Totally Artificial Beverage. Ah, interesting. Yeah, Good so... Trivia, by the way. Good yeah, well, you know that I've got a, I have an advertising background. <laughs> I understand? <laughs> I understand that. I, I mentioned to to Jimmy and I think to Alyssa that my family has been in the advertising and marketing business in the New York area for over a hundred years. So, um, I, I know all sorts of obscure stuff about the the category. But anyway, um, so is your question why do we choose Tab Brands and, yeah. and how did we get it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um. When we started, everything we were doing was in a tablet form. 
So we thought Tab was an interesting name and we wanted something short and we could, we could, we could get it. We couldn't get the word Tab, but we could get Tab brands and many variations and, and, and naming is, um, is important. And, and, and in many cases, a shorter, more familiar name makes some sense. There you go. Alyssa, any, any other questions for Dean? So many, but I'll pause for now. No, I'm excited to have, you know, his, his marketing experience and like the fact that you've found the scientists that you found, like it's not easy. And it's just nice to be at a place where the right uh, business people with the right marketing skills are meeting with those products that can serve as a pharmaceutical because we need it, so. Great, thank you. I'm actually impressed with the fact that the marketer could talk so much science. Cause, I know, right? Well, right? I mean, well you know, it's, it's the value of a liberal arts education. No, oh, there is a value to it. Oh, <laughs> isn't that what Steve Jobs said? You know, that Apple's the intersection of tech and, and liberal arts. So, no, you're, you know, but I, really I mean, I, look, curious people want to want to find out as much as they can about m many things in the world. And, and certainly um, I wanted to find out as much as I could about this category. And believe me, I'm I'm no scientist. But um, but I I know enough to be you know at least to, to sound as though I'm informed, and I and I I've learned a lot in the last couple of years. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, Dean Harris, thank you so much for taking some time out here and joining myself and and Alyssa Merrill on In the Weeds. And remember, everybody, this is another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. You subscribe, like, share, and it's a whole new world of weed out there. So make sure you use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We Talk Now, We Talk News, and In the Weeds are all available on most major podcast distributors like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our friends at clnsmedia.com and our flagship, cannabis.net. So subscribe, share, and like our videos on all the social media networks out there, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Weed Tube, and YouTube. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. We are Pro Cannabis Media.